you'd open your Bibles, I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. If you're, uh, by way of reminder, Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. Um, he's crossed over the Jordan and is, and is coming down Perea, the other side of Judea. In chapter 10, verse 13, we begin at one point on his way to Jerusalem, verse 13, they brought young children to him that he should touch them and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not, uh, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. We'll come back to that phrase, them that trust in riches. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels, but that he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Um, I, I've entitled the sermon this morning "Entering the Kingdom," and let me tell you where I'm coming from. Whenever we, whenever we study the Bible, one of the, we need to make we need to observe first what 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 does it say, and one of the first things we need to do is look for things, words, and phrases that are repeated, because they, they often, most often, will give you an idea of what the main idea is. Um, this is what we call a literary context. 
So, um, as, as I looked at verses 13 through 31, I found two prominent um, repetitions. The first is the phrase, kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is mentioned five times. Look with me at verse 14. For such is the... Or suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 15, Verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Verse 17, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And we'll, we'll come back to that. I, I, I think that's an equivalent of kingdom of God. Verse 23, How hardly shall they have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Verse 24, Children, how hard it is for, for them to trust in riches, who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So, uh, and, then, and then finally in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So right off the bat, five times, what might verses 13 through 31 be talking about? The kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. But the second repetition modifies that. And that is the word enter. Again, look with me at verse 15. Actually, 14 into 15. He says, Suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then he continues, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. Verse 17. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Again, I'm going to argue that inherit is the same thing as enter. Verse 23, how hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? Verse 24, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So what might the theme of 13 through 31 be? How to enter into the kingdom of God. You see, you just see the sausage up here. You know, see how it's made. This is how it's made. There, this, is no, this is no mystery. You, this is the way we study the Bible. We, we, we look first and foremost at, at repetitions. And we see here that, that Jesus is talking about entering the kingdom of God. And he uses uh, two examples. One is, this, is the little children. And the other is a, you couldn't as get as far apart from that. This rich young ruler. And so really... He's answering this question, how do you enter into the kingdom of God? And, and he says, really, there are three ways. Three ways to enter into the kingdom of God, or three descriptions of how to enter into the kingdom of God. And the first thing he says, it's easier than you think. <laughs> it's easier than you think to enter into the kingdom of God. Look with me back again at verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Now, um, they were bringing, and they is probably the fathers. You see, it was was the father's responsibility to bring his children to the rabbi, to have the rabbi bless them and dedicate them. So this is not, um, Jesus is not like Santa Claus at the mall, and people are bringing their kids, you know, to sit on his lap, you know, and and he gives them nuggies, and he's, you know, that, that there's mass chaos, and kids are running around, and he's, that's not the picture here. This is a, this is a very significant spiritual event where fathers would bring their children to the rabbi to be, to, to, for the rabbi to bless them and to dedicate them. And, and, and so we have this, this picture of, of Jesus as, as a recognized rabbi um, and, and the fathers, and certainly the mothers would have been there, but the fathers would bring them to Jesus 
for, for Jesus to bless them and, and to dedicate them. And what did the disciples do? <laughs> they, they started rebuking the fathers. They started rebuking the parents for doing this. Now the question is why? Why would they, why would they rebuke the parents for bringing their children to Jesus for Jesus to bless them and dedicate them? We're not sure. The text really doesn't tell us. Maybe they were trying to protect Jesus. You know, maybe uh, the, 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 the teaching of you know, him going to die on the cross is starting to weigh upon them. And, and uh, we don't really know. But, but, the, but the disciples' heart was to, was to, again, rebuke. What does it say? Uh, verse uh, 13. The disciples rebuked those that brought them. But look at Jesus' heart, verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He was indignant. The only place in the Gospels where we see that Jesus was indignant. He was indignant with his disciples. He was, yeah, he was much displeased. I mean, I, mean, I think that when we, we, we read the whole context, he, he says that this attitude, that this response really strikes at the very heart. Really struck at the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of his mission, the very heart of his message. And he explains this in, in 14 when he says uh, he was much displeased. And then he said unto them, suffer or permit the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus was so indignant, because their their response was so contrary and really struck at the heart of his very mission and his very message, which was how to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say, I want you to become children. Verse 14. He doesn't say, um, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 15. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter. And he's not saying for you to become a child. He's not saying to be childish. He's saying be childlike. There's a difference between childish and childlike. Not become a child, but become like a child in our response to the kingdom of God. And so the question is, what, is it, how, what does it mean to become like it? Then it's simple, it's easy. Getting to the kingdom of God just simply means that I come as a child. I come helpless, dependent, and powerless. It's really that easy. I just become as a child. I, 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 I accept by faith, by simple faith and trust, in his love for me. And I recognize my own helplessness. My defense. There was no one who was more helpless, powerless, and defenseless in Jesus' day than children. And I would say in our day as well. What other segment of our culture has 60 million been murdered than children? In fact, maybe this is exactly what Jesus was saying on the Sermon of the Mount. If you look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. The Beatitudes, the blessedness, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To, to, to be like a child is to be poor in spirit. Not proud. Not arrogant. Not self-sufficient. 
but it's simply as easy as becoming like a child. All it takes is to recognize our helplessness, our powerlessness, to have simple faith and trust like a child does. Jesus says, you know what? Entering the kingdom of God really is, is, is easier than you think. And, and as a side, let, let, me, let me talk about the importance of children's ministry. Typically in a church, you assign people to children's ministry who uh, you know, don't want to do anything else. Well, we'll stick them in children's ministry. Uh, let me say to us that there is... There, I don't know if it's true anymore, but for, for a long time, the vast majority of believers, like something I remember, like 85, 90% came to know Christ before they were 16 years of age. And the vast majority of those came to know Christ not as teenagers, but even before their teenage years. Um, so so while Jesus is using these children really as a, as a, as a, a case study or an example of, of how to how to enter the kingdom of God. On the other hand, I think we would be remiss to talk about how important children were to Jesus. And, 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 and we as a church, we're committed not to, you know, see how many marshmallows we can shove in their mouths and eat candy and play games, but to teach them and train them in the word of God um, because of the fact that never in their lives will they be more open in, to, to simple faith and trust Jesus Christ. It's hard for a child to come to know Jesus with arrogance and pride and self-righteousness. <laughs> we want to, and we, we, we are committed to feed them the word of God and, the, and not just marshmallows. We, we, we are committed to sharing the gospel with them, not just games. So Jesus says at the very beginning, he says, listen, it's easy, really, to enter the kingdom of God. You just have to humble yourself out like a little child and admit you're... you're, you're powerlessness, your helplessness, your dependence. It's, it's, it's really, guys, it's really easier than you think. For such is the kingdom of God. But the second thing he says, it's not just that it's, hard, it's easier than you think, but he also says, it's, but it's also harder than you think. And this is what we see beginning in verse 17 with, with the rich young ruler. It's harder than you think. And look with me down at verse 24 again. 24b, he says, children, how hard it is to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard it is. It's interesting. Just think about that for a minute. He says, to enter into the kingdom of God is hard. It's easier than you think, but at the same time, it's harder than you think. And this rich young ruler is a perfect example of how hard it is for some to enter into the kingdom of God. Again, verse 17, he was gone forth. There came a man running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, a good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, this is why I, I, I take this as a description of what it means to enter the kingdom of God. Because the whole context is how to enter the kingdom of God. And this man asks, he rephrases it by in, inherit eternal life. So I take this to mean to enter the kingdom of God means to inherit eternal life, which means to what? Receive eternal life. There have been books written on the kingdom of God and what it means. And, I, and very simply in this text, I think it very simply means to inherit, inherit eternal life. The man says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? 
And, and it's interesting, that's the phrase, that's the terminology that Jesus used for salvation, was entering into the kingdom, which means inheriting eternal life. And he says, listen, sir, it's going to be harder than you think. Jesus in verse 18 says something first. Why, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? There is none good but one that is God. Uh, if you remember, I, when, when I sent out that, uh, that survey, that theology survey from Ligonier Ministry, um, and we did it as a church, but they also did it you know, nationwide, um, it was astonishing, not our church, but it was astonishing, not you guys, uh, it was astonishing nationwide how many professing evangelicals, and there, there, was a, there was a question or statement on there that says, man is born basically good. And it was astonishing at how many uh, percentage of professing evangelicals said, yes, man is basically good. Uh, t- turn to, to, to Romans chapter 3 for just a moment. We always have time for some theology, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none good. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Uh, anybody, I, I, let me put it this way. Anybody who says that people are born naturally good has never had children. Right? Think about it for a minute. Do we have to teach our children how to sin? Do we have to teach our children how to misbehave? No. We are not born good. And, and I know, we, look at this precious little boy down here. I mean, uh, this little boy is a sinner. And alienated from God. And is not good. And at some point in his life will need to be reconciled to God. And now he's growing up in a godly family that will, that will teach him the word of God and teach him Jesus. We have every, every reason to believe that he will. But this man comes up to him and says, uh, good teacher. And, and, and look at Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that is God. So what does Jesus basically, first of all, said to this man? I'm God. I'm God. When Andy Stanley or anybody else says that Jesus never claimed to be God, they are lying to you. <laughs> over and over again, Jesus claimed to be God in, in many different ways. But Jesus is saying at the very beginning, he says, I'm not going to accept false accolades. When you come and call me good, sir, you need to understand what you, what you are saying. There is only one who is truly good, and that is God. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. The, the man said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Look at, look at Jesus. No, no, let's stop there. What would you say? Some man comes running up to you. Okay, not running up to you. Someone some comes to you at work. Another bus driver comes to you at work. Says, Larry, what must I do to be saved? What would you tell him? I just say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you say... Wait a minute. Now, you're not saying what Jesus said, Larry. Look, look at what Jesus said. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear fault. By the way, you're right, and I say a hearty amen. 
Unless you're talking to my friend Bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll, we'll talk about Bill. In good evangelical fashion behind his back. Um, <laughs> do not bear false witness, defraud not... Isn't this... Is this what you expected Jesus to say? Isn't this odd? Because throughout the scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, what is, the, what is the Bible painfully clear about? Salvation is not by works, not by the law. What's going on here? I think Jesus is setting up, setting them up to deal with a real issue in his life. Look at the man's response, verse 20. And he answered, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Now, if it were me, I would wax eloquent in proving to him that he had not kept these commandments. But Jesus doesn't do that either. And Jesus continually surprises me and surprises us. The man says, I've kept all these from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me. Isn't it interesting? He says, one thing you lack, but then what does he sell him? A bunch of stuff. Four things go. Isn't that odd? We're going to come back to that. Look at the man's response, verse 22. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved. This is not insignificant. This is important. For he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, Hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the, the, the disciples were astonished. Why were they astonished at these words? Because in that day, wealth was considered a, a sign of God's acceptance and God's blessing. And, and for Jesus to say this about the one person who epitomized in, 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 in their culture, the, the someone who is accepted by God and, and loved by God and blessed by God would be this man. They were astonished. If there was anybody who was going to go into heaven, it would be the rich. But he says again, Jesus, Jesus, as he often does, doubles down, as they say. Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you ever heard a sermon where, uh, I heard this all my life growing up at this point, they'd say, there was a small little, in, in one of the walls into, into Jerusalem, they had this little wall, that, this little entrance that camels would have to crawl through, called, it was called the, the, the needle's eye, um, you know, so, so that's where camels entered in. Uh, there, there's just one problem with that, it preaches really well, and uh, but it, we have no evidence that ever existed. <laughs> it, it, there are no evidence. And think about it for a moment. So how did that go down? So your camel had to go through this small little narrow entrance and then you went through the main gate and met up with him somewhere? No, Jesus is using this literally as, as, a, as an example. It's as, it's as difficult as going through the eye of a needle. 
verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure. Now they're now they are real. Now uh, their minds are blown. He just blew their minds, saying among them, "Well, if the rich can't be saved, then who can?" And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, "With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible." Apart from God's grace, it is impossible. It is like trying to go, trying to thread a camel through the eye of a needle. What's really going on here? It's interesting as I read some of the literature, some commentaries. It, 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 it amazed me at how many said it was about wealth. In a sense, it is. Wealth was just a surface issue, but this really has nothing to do with wealth. Go back with me to verse 19. What, remember when I asked the question, why would Jesus respond to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he starts giving the commandments. Verse 19, I want you to notice what commandments Jesus quotes. And, and then I'll give you the number of the ten. These are part of the ten commandments, obviously. Um, Jesus says, do not commit adultery. Uh, or, no, uh, Murder. Do not know. He says, do not commit adultery. That's number seven. I think in your translations, it probably murder comes first, right? Do not murder is number six. Do not steal is number eight. Do not bear false witness is number nine. Defraud not is number ten. And honor thy father and mother is five. So he puts, he just doesn't keep them in exact order, but he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. So we have commandments 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. What do you notice about these commandments? They're visible. And they're horizontal. These are the, these are the, these are the responsibilities that we have to, to, to others. Look at them again. These are all horizontal. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud, not honor. These are the commandments that deal with our, that our relations with other humans. And Jesus knew that these didn't save. He knew that these commandments didn't save, but he was, he was going to get to the real issue in this man's life. Uh, go back to, to verse 21a. One thing thou lackest. I want you to to notice the incongruity of what Jesus says about you lack one thing and what he tells him to do. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I ask Tom, um, Tom, I would like you to go get me ten books and bring them back to me. And he leaves and he comes back and there's only six books. And I say, Tom, there's one thing you lack. And what is it? What, would, what, is, what does he lack? The other four. So Jesus is pointing, Jesus intentionally said, yeah, you may have kept the horizontal ones, but let's talk about the ones that you lack. Anybody know what the first commandment is? You shall have no other gods before me. There's my Baptist buddy over there. Thank you, Michael. 
you shall have no other gods before me. You see, I, I, I think this is obviously the surface issue of wealth, but what's really going on here is, and this is why he said one thing you like. The one commandment you lack is the first and, very mo- and the most important, and that is, you shall have no other gods before me. It is hard to enter the kingdom of God carrying with you a bunch of gods. In fact, Jesus says it's impossible to do that. What we're talking about is idolatry, not wealth. Wealth is the object of his idolatry, but it's idolatry. And verse 24b, go back to verse 24b with you. In this phrase, he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. That's what our our, our critical text says. But the text is receptive that the King James, New King James, adds this phrase. And many of our other, other, in fact, the majority of of manuscripts find this phrase, although the, the two earliest... Uh, Alexand- uh, the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus lack this phrase. But I think the phrase, even if it's not original, I think gives a, 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 a correct context of what he means by this. When he says, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's idolatry. Because it is breaking the very, the very first and most important commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus is not saying if you give all your money away, you'll go to heaven. When he told told them, go sell all that you have and give the money to the poor and then come follow me. He's not saying that that would save him. But in essence, what he's saying is, I want, you can have no other gods but me. See, this man ultimately was trusting in himself. And that, to me, really, guys, I think if we were to boil down idolatry, idolatry in the Bible is, is we have made idols of ourselves. That, that, that human beings have made God in our own image, and, and we, are, we, we, we place the grandest idol of our lives, which is ourselves. And, and, and this man was trusting in his works, and he was trusting in his wealth. Others trust in water. Others trust in wafers. But Jesus says, all those things won't make it through the eye of a needle. Entering the kingdom of God or inheriting eternal life requires a change in trust. It's a transfer of trust from myself to Jesus. That's all it is. But Jesus says that's hard. You see, as sons of Adam, we have a hard time giving up our idols. You share, your, you share Christ with your neighbor, the, the gospel of free grace, and he has a hard time giving up his idols of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. This man was trusting in himself. I mean, salvation... Inheriting eternal life requires a transfer of trust. And idols, I'm telling you, idols don't die easy. Idols can't squeeze through the eyes of needles. One more time, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. 
starting in 19, he, Jesus is talking about, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and with these break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 21, For where your treasure is there, your heart will be. See, we were talking about trust. Look at me, though, at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In fact, Jesus said, it's impossible. You can't do it. You have to serve one or the other. By the way, this is the... Uh, this is, a lot of people say, where, where does the Bible prohibit polygamy in the New Testament? This is it. No man can serve two masters. This group, you'll get that later. So just hang in. But finally, back in Mark, he says, entering the kingdom of God is easier than you think. He says, entering the kingdom of God is harder than you think. But I think most importantly, he says, it's better than you think. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Good old Peter. Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all. We've left everything and followed you. Now let's stop right there. Now there's two options here. Number one, one option is Peter is fishing for praise. Okay, that's one way you could, you could interpret this. Peter's going, Jesus, we're not like that guy. We left everything to follow you. That's one option. Another option is Peter is seeking reassurance. And... And uh, I opt for that one. Look at what has just happened. This man who, in their culture, was deemed most blessed and most accepted by God, Jesus has said, this man is out. And wouldn't that naturally say, what about me? If he didn't make it, what, what about me, Jesus? And Peter said, well, we, we, we've left everything. Are we okay? Look what he says. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say to you, there is no man that hath left house or brother or sisters or father or mother, wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels that he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the world to come eternal life. In essence, Jesus... Does Jesus recognize and acknowledge that when we come to know Christ, often it means that we lose something, we forsake something, we've left something? Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you come to know Jesus, you don't have to leave anything, you don't have to change anything. Come as you have. Yeah, you don't have to change anything. Listen, coming to Jesus oftentimes requires the loss of relationships, the loss of family, the loss of job. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, there was a, a, a lady who, Denver Seminary, I'm not going to mention her name, there was, that she taught all of the uh, uh, introductory Greek at Denver Seminary. Uh, Dr. Blomberg, by the way, told me he, he considered her one of the, the finest Greek scholars in America. I mean, that's how good she was. She was, the, she was the kindest, funniest, just a wonderful woman. And... Um, I was in a, in, a, in a study group with her, and I can't remember how it came up, but she shared her testimony. She came from a very wealthy Jewish family in New York City. Extremely wealthy. And she, she came out here, uh, she got married and came out here with her husband, and uh, heard the gospel and trusted Christ. 
And long story short, her family her family basically just wrote her out of literally wrote her out of the will, and she became dead to them by trusting in them in Jesus the Messiah. She lost her entire family. Uh, a couple years later, found out that her husband was having an affair, a homosexual affair, and her, her husband left her. What did she have? She lost everything. One, specifically because of the gospel. Do you lose something when you come to know Christ? Oftentimes, yes. Jesus, Jesus doesn't make any false promises. Sometimes we do lose family members. We lose relationships. We lose that promotion. But what does he say? No one who has lost anything when they come to know me will not regain even more. Look again with me at verses 28 29. Verse 29. There's no man that has left house or brother, sister, father, mother, wife, or children or lands, but that he achieve a hundredfold. Now, is he saying that if you come to know Christ um, and, and you lose your job, you're going to get a job that's going to pay you a hundred times what it went through? No, this is just a, 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 an idiomatic way of saying you will be more than compensated and blessed in other ways. Ultimately, he says, with eternal life. He says it's better than you think. Yeah, sometimes you have to lose. You, you lose when you trust in Christ. And you have to leave things when you trust in Christ. But the compensation is more than, than, more than compensates it. He says, again, look with me at verse 29. He says, or 30. But he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, and he lists all these things, in this time and in the world to come, eternal life. The bottom line is what we gain is life eternal. What could compare? Remember this parable Jesus told that rich, the rich man who kept building bigger barns. He says, what good is it to gain the whole world and sacrifice your soul? 1 Corinthians 2 Paul said, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, in order that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak a wisdom among them that, that are perfect... Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that have come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the rulers of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And here's the, here's the key verse. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those who love him. It's better than you think. Most of us know who Jim Elliott was. He's a famous missionary to Ecuador. And his, 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 I think, verse 31, when he says, The first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
And we're going to see this phrase throughout the Gospels. And they mean, it means different things in different contexts. But I think what Jesus says, and he sums it up by saying, in the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In this context, I think Jim Elliott's quote sums up that verse and, and concludes this whole section when he says, He is no fool who gives, or i.e. loses. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who is willing to give up those things that you, that, that you can't keep anyway. To gain those things that you cannot lose. Love, forgiveness, eternal life. Entering the kingdom of God is easier than you think. You just simply humble yourself like a child, acknowledging your dependence, your helplessness. It's harder than you think. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to transfer your trust from your idol of self to Jesus alone. Yes, it may, it, you may have to sacrifice something. It may cost them something. But they are no fools who give that up to gain what they cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you that with man this is impossible. But with you, all things are possible. Apart from you, apart from your initiative, apart from your empowering, apart from you changing our hearts, this is impossible. We cannot in and of ourselves forsake our idols and and trust you and transfer our trust from self to you. And yet, you tell us to do it. You ask us to believe. And, And Father, I pray that as we have opportunities to share the gospel and share with others how they might enter the kingdom of God. We might keep these in mind that it's, it's, it's easier than you think. There's not a lot of... Uh, Father, you don't say, well, you have to be willing to do this, willing to do that, willing to do this, willing to do that. But it's harder than you think because you simply say, you've got to stop trusting in yourself and trust me alone. It's harder than you think. Father, for those who respond, it will always be better than we think. Because of the great promises of blessing in this life and membership in the body of Christ, but most importantly, the promise of eternal life. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his own soul? Father, we thank you for Jesus who died for us, whose blood covered us, our sin, forgave us of our sin. And allowed us to inherit eternal life. To enter into the kingdom of God. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? Join hands.